we're coming to the end. I think this is the second to the last installment of a 11-month series in the book <laughs> of Genesis. So you guys have been um, phenomenally patient, but uh, hopefully it's not uh, required terrible patience. It's um, been very exciting for us, and I hope it has been for you. Today we're going to share with you from Genesis 46 and 47, the God of ups and downs. If you'll remember last week, we visited Jacob slash Israel, who had just found out that Joseph was alive. And in determining and discovering that his beloved son, whom he had mourned for 22 years, is actually alive, um, the family is going to start to go to Egypt in order to escape the famine that they've been living in Canaan. So that's where we're at. Uh, Jacob slash Israel is about to go down to Egypt um, to see Joseph, um, and he's going to go with all of his sons and start to make that transition. So in Genesis chapter 46, verses 1 and 2, it reads this. So Israel, and that's Jacob, set out with all that, he, all that was his, and when he reached Beersheba, he offered sacrifices to the God of his father Isaac. And God spoke to Israel in a vision at night and said, Jacob, Jacob, here I am, he replied. I am the God, I am God, the God of your father, he said. Do not be afraid to go down to Egypt, for I will make you into a great nation there. I will go down to Egypt with you, and I will surely bring you back again, and Joseph's own hand will close your eyes. Now, what we'd like to point out about these verses is that Jacob, Israel, is having to go down to Egypt. He's having to leave the land that was promised him, the land that God said would be his. Not just his, but the land that God said to Abraham and to Isaac and to Jacob, this is your land. Now, Abraham did have to go down to Egypt as well at one point. And Isaac wouldn't, God said to Isaac, don't go down to Egypt. So if you'll notice here, we have this really interesting thing where Jacob says, it says here in the text that he goes and he offers and makes up a sacrifice, makes a sacrifice in Beersheba, which is where Abraham had planted a tree, where Isaac also had been. And now he goes to the same spot of his forefathers to make that same sacrifice. But you have to wonder if maybe there was something his dad had told him one time to say, don't go to Egypt. And he goes there and in that moment where his dad had been told, don't go, Jacob is now told, go. Jacob, Jacob, here I am. He named me, here I am. Don't be afraid. Go down to Egypt. Now this concept of going down in biblical times often meant going away from God's presence. Later on, when God will place his house and his name in Jerusalem, everyone, when they go to the house, it'll be said that they go up to God. All the time. In fact, there's a rabbi that said even if you were flying over in an airplane and parachuted over Jerusalem, out, you know, over Jerusalem, you'd still be going up to God. If you're floating down from the airplane to Jerusalem in your parachute, you'd still be going up to God because you always go up to God. So there's this concept that in going down, you're maybe removing yourself from God's presence. And certainly they are going down and away from the land in which God has promised to hold them, to give them. The land that will be taken the name of Jacob slash Israel himself. So there's maybe some concern that in going down to Egypt, he is leaving the protection and presence of God. So much so that in other polytheistic societies, people that worship many gods, it was most common that gods really had an area that they were in charge of, a land, a section. So when you left that area, then you left the power of those gods. 
so that if you were in the land of Canaan, there were gods that were worshipped there, but if you went to Egypt, there were gods that were worshipped there, but they kind of didn't really travel. They didn't have passports, they didn't move. They stayed in their locales, and you didn't really expect God to be on the move with you. But Israel's God is on the move. And what Israel is finding out is that God isn't only in Canaan, but he can also go down. The parallel for us, and what we could possibly draw from this, you know, there's an expectation that they're going to stay in the land of Canaan. And to go to Egypt is a very unexpected move. Um, There is a very familiar sense that this is home, and they're going to have to go to a place that's very unfamiliar. And there's a very comfortable place where they know how the land works, they know where to get food, they know where to get water, to a place where they're now very uncomfortable. They're going to have to depend upon a foreign power. And the question at this particular stage in the story is, how many of you have ever had to do this? How many of you have ever had to go down? How many of you have felt like God led you to a particular place, gave you a particular calling, put you in a particular space in time, and then all of a sudden, for some reason, due to a variety of reasons, you had to leave? And the very thing that was comfortable, the very thing that was expected, the very thing that was familiar to you is now all of a sudden being taken away from you, or more appropriately, you're being taken away from it. And this is the feeling of Israel. This is the feeling of the entire family of Jacob. They are now being taken away from the thing that is comfortable, is familiar. And the to thi- them. very thing that God has promised them. God has promised them this land. And now he's telling them to leave it, to leave the promise, to leave the thing that God has said he will give them. It's really, really shocking. It's hard to change your expectations. Keep calm and lower your expectations. Isn't that the best way to not be disappointed, right? You know, so I just have low expectations, so I'm never disappointed. Which is actually a really horrible way to live. But we did have an adolescent psychology professor when we were in college together that said, expectations are like an umbrella that prevent God's blessings from raining down on you. Now you could say that's a really cheesy saying, but I actually think it's quite helpful. That if at some moments we're willing to pull down our personal expectations of what things are supposed to be like, how it's supposed to look, how we expected God to do the thing that we expected God to do, if we pull that umbrella down, perhaps now we can start to receive blessings that we didn't expect but are incredibly beautiful. So the story continues in chapter 47. Then Joseph brought his father Jacob in and presented him before Pharaoh. After Joseph blessed Pharaoh... Pharaoh asked him, How old are you? And Jacob said to Pharaoh, The years of my pilgrimage are 130. My years have been few and difficult, and they do not equal the years of my pilgrimage of my fathers. Then Jacob blessed Pharaoh and went out from his presence. Now just a couple things to note here. First of all, in our society, never polite to ask somebody how old they are, right? Never. But instead, Pharaoh's like, So how old are you? Why is that happening here in the story? Because in the biblical world, age is a blessing. It's completely unlike America. We do everything we can to appear as though we aren't aging, right? Every once in a while, now that the World Cup is on, and I sit in front of the TV for a minute, I'm like, I wonder what's on. 
I find the craziest stuff. And I'm like, Kevin, Kevin, on the like, thing, like, did you know there's something like how to get rid of your turkey neck? And it's like an hour program on how to get rid of turkey neck or how to get wrinkle-free or how to be acne-free or how to get your abs all set up. Or I don't know. I mean, it's just bizarre to me how many All of channels which I've taken full advantage of. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Okay. Um, so there's this, Jesus can hear you lying. Okay. Um, <laughs> I'm shocked at it. You know, there was also a program called Naked and Afraid. This seems to me like this is the title of Genesis, right? Like the beginning of Genesis, Naked and Afraid, Genesis 1 and 2. Um, in any event, I can't believe I'm shocked constantly by the things that show up on the guide when I'm trying to find something to occupy my time between all 35 World Cup games we're watching. Um, in any event... In our world, we try everything we can do to stop the aging process, to not look elderly. But in the ancient world, aging was a blessing. So when Pharaoh says to Jacob, how old are you? It's like, how blessed are you? And then Jacob takes this really wonderful, modest approach, like, you know, not that many years, only 130. Now, that's really because in Egypt, the expected lifespan was around 110. So he has to take that modest approach before Pharaoh. But also, Jacob won't equal the years of his forefathers. He won't have the same years as Abraham and as Isaac. He will die younger than them. So there is something that he recognizes. Now, the additional thing that, and by the way, did you notice that Jacob blesses Pharaoh? How cool is that? We're going to talk about that. I might just hold that right there. Yeah. The additional thing that's fantastic there is that Jacob says to Pharaoh, my years have been few and difficult. There's something in that moment where Jacob seems to acknowledge the fact that his life hasn't gone exactly according to his expectations. It hasn't gone exactly according to plan. Let's look at a couple ways. Now, he, has, he gets the birthright and the blessing that he wants. Yes? Fantastic. He gets what he wants, but he loses the relationship with his, his brother, his twin brother, to get it. So he gets what he wants, but maybe not the way in which he wants it. He gets Rachel. Whew, he gets Rachel. He wants Rachel. But he also gets Leah. That's not expected, right? Remember that we talked about that? In the morning, behold, Leah. <laughs> that was an unexpected move on Laban's part to sneak Leah in and to not get Rachel right away. So he gets Rachel, but with the consequence or the added complication of Leah. And now these two sisters are going to be fighting and causing turmoil within the family. So he gets what he wants, but with a high cost. And then he gets sons, 12, like the number of the months of, of the stars and the constellations in the sky. This is beautiful. The zodiac is very ancient. He gets this beautiful, beautiful gift of 12 sons. But they will fight and their relationships are full of strife, and in part because of his favoritism towards one. So he contributes to the difficulty of his son. So he gets the 12, but it's complicated, and they pretend to murder one, and, you know, that one has died, and they sell him off. It's, it's complicated. It's not what he expects. He gets a blessing. He gets to wrestle with God and with man, and he gets that blessing, but he also gets a limp. That's unexpected. I wanted the blessing, but I'm also getting the limp. These 
issues of I expected these things, and yes, I got them, but not the way I wanted them. They're complicated. It's not exactly what I had hoped for. Has that ever happened in your life? You get what it is you're aiming for, but not quite the way you had hoped. So in chapter 46, verses 33 through 34, it says, When Pharaoh calls you, he will ask, What work do you do? You tell him, We are shepherds. All our lives we have been shepherds, and our ancestors were shepherds before us. Then Pharaoh will allow you to live in the land of Goshen. Egyptians don't like shepherds, so it is better that you stay in Goshen. So this segment here begins to highlight yet another layer of this dramatic story of Jacob slash Israel in Egypt. Joseph tells his father, when you meet Pharaoh, don't tell him that you are going to be this great nation. It's almost kind of like, you know, what job are you in right now? Well, this is my temporary job. I'm supposed to be the great nation of Israel, but right now, you know, I'm just a shepherd. (laughs) You know, just hang in there, you know, a couple more credits and I'll get there. Um, And so that's a little bit of the story. So as a result of that, as a result of him downplaying a little bit of his calling, they end up in a place called Goshen. Not that Goshen. This Goshen, a place called Goshen, Egypt. Now, what's fascinating and the contrast and comparison that happens here, the famine in Egypt begins to get even more severe. We've talked about this over the last several weeks. The famine is getting very severe. And in chapter 47, there's a listing of things that happen to the people in Egypt. First, they sell off all of their money so that they can get food. And Joseph, by the way, is the person who's in charge of all these transactions. Second, they've run out of money, so they begin to sell all the livestock. Third, they're out of livestock, so then they give over land. And the desperation is building and building. Lastly, they're out of money, they're out of livestock, they're out of land, and so they end up selling themselves over to Joseph to Egypt. And so they become completely enslaved. The picture and the image of what it means to be in Egypt during famine is looking very, very grim for the people of Egypt, for the Egyptian people. However, chapter 47, verse 27. Now the Israelites settled in the region of Goshen. They acquired property there and were fruitful and increased greatly in number. And here's where the twist and the turn and kind of the thrust of this message comes. That while Jacob, while Israel and the entire family had expected to be in Israel, had expected to be in Canaan, had expected everything for God's fulfillment, his promises to be there, God says, you are now to go down to Egypt. Uncomfortable, unexpected, not what I want. I'm heading into an area that I'm very uncertain about, and really it's going to be dangerous. But the promise is, as you go down, I will be with you. Whatever it is that you leave that you thought was going to be the promise, I will be with you into this next location, even though it's unfamiliar, even though it's a little bit scary for you. And so when they get there, and this is the dramatic development in this text, they get to Egypt, this place of prosperity. You can see the Nile River there, the place where everybody goes because that's where food is, but the Egyptians end up losing everything because of the famine. But the Israelites, because of who they are, because they went down, because they faithfully left the place that God had them, they were fruitful and they increased in numbers. Which means that there's a whole different way of looking at expectations. When you have a God involved, going down with you, 
leaving the place where you thought was comfortable, leaving the place that you thought was the promise and going to this very foreign place, you have no idea, you're very uncertain, but God is with you. And that's the promise that he gives to Jacob. That's the promise that he gives to Israel. Which means you can have no idea what's going to happen, and you absolutely love it because of who God is. Now, these kinds of expectations, these kinds of transitions remind me of a whole bunch of things. It reminds me of several meetings and things that have happened even over the course of recent events and the meetings that we've had. And many of you are going through what we would probably consider a transition from Canaan to Egypt. You, right now, are going down. You're leaving the place that you thought God had you. In fact, it was the promised land. It was the location. It was the very place that you felt, this is where God has me. And as a result of either tragedy, relationship change, economics, uh, as a result of needing to move, as a result of an accident, as a result of other people being in bad positions of leadership or being bad leaders, you are now having to leave. You are having to, quote, go down. And it feels like, as we've talked about before, that you are leaving God's presence. You are leaving the very calling of God. You are leaving the very presence and protection of God. And what we want to share with you is that you need not fear. Because the same promise to Jacob, the same promise to Israel, that God says, I will go down with you, is the same promise that exists today. And so one of the lessons that I think is really important from this story is do not confuse your current location with your life's vocation. Do not confuse your current location with your life's vocation. In other words, there is a calling upon your life. There is a promise. There is a covenant that goes all the way back to Abraham. But that calling, that vocation, the very thing that God has called you to do and to be does not change merely because you had to, quote, go down. Merely as a result of a change in space. Merely as a result in a change of job, as a change of house, and a change of relationship. Your calling is not about where you are. It's about who he is and about whose you are. And you see that reflected in this verse, 46, verse 3, where God says to Jacob, go down and I will bless those who bless you, curse those who curse you. I will make you into a great nation. Wait a second. Those words sound familiar, don't they? The reason why it's taken us a long time to get through Genesis is because every single one of these episodes is reflective of the full breadth and scope of what God is doing again and again and again and again. The covenant, the promise, the relationship, the very essence of who God is and your relationship with him does not change. Even when the events change, even when the location changes, And so, with the Jacob and Israel story in chapter 46, verse 3, God repeats the very same phraseology, the very same language as he gave to Abraham. And if there's anything that I would love for you to take away from that piece, is that as you leave, as you go down, as you change a relationship, change a house, change a move, change a job, you graduate from college or high school, and you're going to have to leave something, the very same words that God called you to in his covenantal relationship maintains the same. And he will go down with you. 
I think I would just note there that a lot of times we confuse the land of Canaan, the land of Israel, with the blessing of God, the favor of God. Like, God loves me right now. He's pleased with me right now. I'm being blessed right now in this place, in this space. Now that I'm being, I'm being sent out, now that I'm having to go down, I must have done something wrong. I must have disobeyed. I must not have prayed enough. I didn't do my quiet time exactly five minutes at 7.05 every morning. I forgot to pray before dinner one time, and I'm being sent out. I'm being, now God somehow is leaving. His presence is gone. We've confused the blessings of finance or the blessings of the job that we want or the blessings of all of those things, and we've thought somehow God isn't in the other season. But instead, we see here that God is deeply invested in being with us at all times. His presence isn't leaving Israel. The calling on Israel to be a nation that blesses the world has not changed. The location is changing for this season. But the calling has not changed. And the calling takes an amazing, an amazing twist, as we've pointed out. Check this verse out. Jacob blesses Pharaoh. Now, this is Pharaoh, the king of one of the most powerful nations on the planet at this time. The person that could snap his fingers and be absolutely done away with you. And yet, as a result of this calling, change of space, he had to go down, he had to leave. But as a result of this calling, maintaining secure in who Jacob is, the very same words from Abraham in Genesis chapter 12, are actually coming to life. I will bless those who bless you and curse those who curse you. Just like Pharaoh blessed them, so now Jacob is blessing Pharaoh. It's all tied in together. And in this passage, Jacob blesses Pharaoh twice. How else is Pharaoh going to be blessed by God's people unless God's people go down? This is a story that Jonah really should have paid attention to. (laughs) Because if you'll recall, Jonah doesn't want to take at all God's calling and vocation on his life. So he decides to go down to Jaffa. And then he goes down to the port. And then he goes down to the ship. And then he goes down into the ship. And then eventually he'll go down into the ocean. And then down into the belly of the whale. All the time thinking that somehow by going down, he's getting further and further away from God. Only to be deeply surprised, deeply surprised, that God... God is there in the deep, that God has also gone down. So this story is teaching us God's presence does not have any territorial boundaries. Wherever you go, God is with you. And that sounds so pithy and so simple, but the reality is that is the fundamental thrust of this story. Because every single one of us, I guarantee it, have felt at one particular point, as a result of a, a layoff, as a result of a forced move, as a result of some external factors, we have felt somehow that, as Daniel was mentioning, we are out of God's presence. Out, we've done something wrong. We've shifted. And it could be internal factors. It could be a season of depression. It could be a season of anxiety. It could be um, that your life isn't looking the way you expected it to look. You were married. You didn't expect divorce. You were... Um, expecting children and you don't have children. You were expecting to be married and you're not yet married. You were expecting this job and you didn't get it. You were expecting this friend to do this thing and it didn't happen. You were expecting your, your family members, your parents to live long and they didn't. You were expecting to be healthy and now you're ill. 
All of these things have caused us something in our mind where we're trying to make some equation work. We're like, it must be that I've done something wrong. God somehow is no longer with me now. He's no longer doing the thing I expected him to do. Therefore, something is broken. But this story teaches us that even in famine, even when there's no place else to go but to the land of foreign gods, God is with us there. He's with us when the marriage falls apart. He's with us when the marriage doesn't happen. He's with us when the graduation is there, when it isn't there. He's with us when the job is there, isn't there. He's with us. I remember when uh, I got laid off and, and knowing that feeling of, am I really called to this work? Am I really, is this really what I should be doing? All of those doubts, all of the flurry of emotionality that goes through your brain as a result of that shift and of that change. And I remember distinctly thinking, well, let me, okay, since that happened, I might as well just go do this work and go do this work and go do this work because I got laid off from this kind of work. And I, so all of this, those territories, those boundaries that have been set up, you know, are so wickedly effective at getting us distracted from, wait a second, God has called me the promise from the very beginning is the same then as it is now. And so, as, you know, even as a result of being laid off, you know, we continued to try to live this out as best as we could with all of the challenge and the, and the, and the struggle and the wrestling. And, fa- you know, in faith said, let's start a church. <laughs> what is that going to look like? And here you all are. So that's a beautiful well, thing. Well, to that end, actually, we expected to start a church 16 years ago. But it wasn't time yet. We expected, so my, my mother, my grandmother had her first child on my mom's side at 30. My mom had her first child, me, at 30. I expected at 30 to have my first child, a young one. I was not, I'm, I'm 41 now with a young one. That's a shift of expectation. But it doesn't mean that God's not with me in the 11 years ensuing. Apparently, I'm just going to be a really hip older mom. So, you know, this is how we just adjust to the expectation. But it can feel like in those moments, because of what people say around us and because of the the doubt and the self-talk in our own heads, it can feel as though God's presence has left or isn't with us, or there's something we're supposed to be learning. Maybe I'm not supposed to be mom. Maybe I'm just going to be a terrible mom. Maybe I would yell at my kids all the time, and they'd have to go to therapy for the rest of their lives. Maybe we're just not. But, you know, you, you run through every possible reason why, instead of knowing that God is simply with us, no matter what expectations are met or unmet, that God is with us. He is the God of the ups and the downs. He's with us in both. God will go down with you. Hear that? Hear that. God will go down with you. Last, what we love so beautiful about Genesis and throughout the rest of the Bible, verse 27 of chapter 47. If you caught this earlier, it said Israel was fruitful and increased in number. What does that sound like to you? for those of you who have been with us for a long time. In other words, the very place that you thought was going to be punishment, enslavement, false expectation, the thing that you did not want to go to could possibly become a whole new Garden of Eden 
the very thing that you're afraid of, the very place, the very next shift and change could actually become your next garden. So, when God does come down with us, when he goes with us into those places, perhaps our prisons, by the way, and the reason why we were at prisons, Mitzrayim, which is the Hebrew word for Egypt, means bondages. So maybe the place of bondage, the place of prison, actually becomes our garden. Actually becomes the very place where your calling, your vocation, the promise and the covenant of who God has called you and made you to be actually gets fulfilled. And you did not expect that to happen. Mm-hmm. So that's the God of the ups and downs. Shall we pray? Yes. Father God, we bless you so much for every every step along this journey. And as it is so hard to transition, as it is so hard to wrestle with our expectations, as it is emotionally tumultuous to think things that are doubtful and discouraging, God, may we be reminded once again that in every shift and every change, just like with Jacob and Israel, you promised you will go down with us. You are there. You will be present. And the very places, God, that we may be afraid of or uncertain about will become fertile soil for your promises to be fulfilled once again. The calling is certain and sure. The vocation has not changed. Our identity and covenant relationship with you is ever, ever as strong as it has ever been. So remind us of that today and empower us and inspire us, Lord, to maintain faithfulness to you as you have been so faithful to us. And we pray in your name. Amen. Amen.